Hi, I'm Jennifer Gassich. And my name is Mateusz Benko. This is the Let's Talk Ecosystems podcast. From activists to entrepreneurs, leaders to practitioners, we will learn how young people are making a positive change for our planet. In this series, we talk with change makers who are taking action to restore and protect nature as we move forward in the United Nations decade for ecosystem restoration. So, Mateusz, I have a question for you today. How much of the Earth's seafloor is covered by coral reefs? Less than 1%, less than 5%, or less than 10%? I would say less than 1%. Wow, that is exactly right. Well, did you know that these ecosystems also support at least a quarter of all ocean life? They feed and sustain nearly half a billion people. But I was reading an article in last year's National Geographic magazine, and it said that more than a quarter of the 800 known species of reef building corals are classified as vulnerable, endangered, or critically endangered by the IUCN. And that many of these species of coral could actually become extinct because of rising temperatures, pollution, disease, increased, uh, increased ocean acidity, and more extreme weather events. Can you imagine that in 2016, coral bleaching affected 91% of the reefs that make up the Great Barrier Reef? This is really hard to imagine indeed. And what is wondering is that the ecosystem of, of this beauty is one of the most threatened ecosystems on Earth. Exactly. Uh, that's really sad. Clearly, human activities and climate change threaten the very existence of the world's coral reefs. But today... Our guest, Gator Helpburn, is going to tell us all about what he's doing to help restore the world's coral reefs. Welcome, Gator. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to chat with you both today. Before we jump in, Gator, I have a very simple question, but I, I can't find an answer. To be honest with you, when I saw the coral reefs for the first time, I believe there were rocks and I learned later on, obviously, that they are animals, but I'm still quite struggling to, to understand what are those amazing creatures and what is their life? Can you actually tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, thanks so much for, um, for having me on to explain some things today. And, and really the magic and beauty of coral reefs is tough to, to overstate. They are these incredible ecosystems that can be thought of as kind of the rainforests of the ocean and the corals themselves are analogous to the trees in the rainforest and so there's many different species of corals that grow in coral reef environments and you're spot on in saying that they are actually animals so if you remember the tree of life that has you know bacteria fungi plants animals of the animal kingdom one of the original branches, so the oldest form of animal life is the sea sponge that kind of just floats around and divides. Uh, but the second branch is a group called the Cnidaria, which includes corals and jellyfish and a few other ocean creatures. And so corals are really one of the most ancient forms of animal life, but they're even more wild than that in that they're not only animals, they also have a symbiotic relationship with algae 
that live inside of the coral, something called zooxanthellae. And so those type of algae are actually plants that are doing photosynthesis and feeding the coral. So it's a symbiotic relationship where the coral gives the algae a home and the algae gives the coral energy and food. And then to take it one step even weirder, the corals grow these magnificent reef structures, these huge formations that form these barrier reef seawalls uh, out of calcium carbonate or limestone skeletons. So they're these animals with plants living inside of them that grow skeletons of rock, limestone, forming these reef structures. So really one of the most incredible organisms that exist on Earth that shape the life in the oceans and, and therefore really life all around the world. Yeah, Gator, can you tell us maybe also, um, when was the first time actually you saw the coral reefs? Do you remember that, that part of your life and how old were you and what was, what was that experience about? I didn't really get to know coral reefs until I was in university and started studying climate change science and environmental science. And I can uh, deeply remember the first time I was able to visit the Great Barrier Reef and go pretty far offshore in Australia and, and see what was truly a, a thriving, beautiful ecosystem with incredible coral coverage and a single coral colony that was as big as a house, you know, 20, 30 meters off the sea floor, this organism that had been growing for many thousands of years. And, and the scuba dive I was able to have around that reef balmy was one of the most ex beautiful experiences of my life and, and really shaped everything I've done since then. Well, Gator, I'd like to say, first of all, that You've done uh, so much work over the last few years. And uh, other than being an entrepreneur and environmental activist, you were named the 2018 United Nations Young Champion of the Earth for your work on creating land-based coral farms to restore and sustain the world's coral reefs. You founded the company and you're president of Coral Vita. And this is a company based in the Bahamas, I believe, that uses uh, innovative techniques to grow coral up to 50 times faster than traditional methods. Uh, and this is making the coral more resistant to the impacts of climate change. Uh, you also won the 2021 Earthshot Prize for the Revive Our Oceans category. This is incredible. Could you tell us a little bit about how you create coral on land and what is your mission? Yeah, so thanks for that that intro. You can be my professional hype woman, Jennifer. Appreciate the the kind yeah. words, and uh, it's really uh, a real team effort at Coral Vita, and we have a great group of of people working uh, for Coral Vita that has led us to to all the success we've had so far. And my co-founder Sam Teicher and I are privileged to work with the folks we do. Uh, and at Coral Vita, what we do is create land-based coral farms, which are akin to aquaculture facilities, where we have a series of 
tanks and some pretty high-tech aquaculture equipment to control the conditions of the, the water in those tanks. And we're able to take coral off the reef, oftentimes that is broken off naturally, bring it into the farm and actually reproduce and multiply the coral in the farm. Uh, and the land-based technique, which is a little different than traditional forms of reef restoration, enables us to do some really interesting things as we scale up the process of coral farming and scale up reef restoration in general. And so a few of the exciting things we can do are really grow coral in mass and create these facilities where we're growing hundreds of thousands and, and we hope to eventually grow millions and millions of corals at a single farm that we can then distribute around to restoration projects in a region. Uh, and we do that through two forms of called propagation. There's asexual fragmentation of corals where you know, I started describing the magic of a uh, coral earlier, but there's a whole nother level where a single coral that you hold in your hand or you see on the reef, you think is, is one coral, but that one coral is actually a colony that's made of hundreds or thousands of individual animals that divide asexually. So they're clones of one another into this colony that forms the, the structure and shape of a coral. And so that enables us to take little fragments off of a single colony and grow each fragment into its own colony. And so kind of like taking a cutting from a tree and planting it and it can become its own tree, we can take many, many different fragments from a single colony and multiply how many of those colonies there are. Uh, we can also breed corals together and reproduce them sexually to create new genotypes, new DNAs of coral that we incorporate into our farming systems and increase that genetic diversity and genetic resilience. Through these different processes, we're able to actually accelerate coral growth rates by up to 50 times how fast they grow in nature. Uh, so that's through a process known as microfragmentation, where we actually fragment the corals up into these tiny pieces and put them onto different substrates that mimic the skeletons that would take them decades to grow. And we're able to fuse those fragments over these substrates in order to create coral colonies that are of the maturity that would typically in nature take decades and we can sometimes do it in months. Uh, and then the last exciting technology method that I'll, I'll describe now is through this production system, we're also able to incorporate a technique known as assisted evolution, which is basically cranking up the heat, cranking up the acidity within our systems and seeing which corals are naturally most resilient to the warming and acidifying oceans that threaten their survival and we're able to select for resilience and actually boost the resilience of the corals that are acclimating in our tanks uh, in order to make sure that the coral we plant out on the reef is going to be able to best withstand the future ocean conditions that they'll face out in nature. And so at Coral Vita, we're kind of 
bringing together these different uh, fields of research that have been pioneered by partners from Florida to Hawaii to the Middle East and around the world and creating a scalable commercial model that can do ecosystem scale restoration and, and really put these different technologies into practice. I think it's very important to also understand what are the services that the coral reefs are providing to, to us. Uh, and I'm pretty sure you will find uh, excellent words to, to describe them. So can you tell us a bit more about, as we call them, the ecosystem services that the coral reefs provide to? What really underpins uh, the need for reef restoration from a human standpoint and how we have structured our commercial model at Coral Vita is looking into the direct economic benefits that reefs provide for communities all around the world. And the three main ecosystem services that reefs provide are tourism. So billions of dollars around the world are spent each year on people traveling to and seeing these reef ecosystems and the, the animals that thrive on coral reefs. The second is fisheries production. So Jennifer mentioned how many communities depend upon the sustenance from coral reefs for their livelihoods. And the majority of fish that are caught in tropical regions around the world have different stages of their life cycle in coral reefs. And as these reefs decline, those fish stocks also decline around the world. Uh, and then the, the third main benefit from an ecosystem services standpoint is the coastal protection value of these reefs. So they're called a barrier reef for a reason. They are really the barrier between the open ocean and the communities that live on shore. And we saw that here in the Bahamas firsthand with Hurricane Dorian uh, three years back, which was the most powerful hurricane ever recorded in the Caribbean, which, which directly hit our island here in Grand Bahama to devastating effect. But what we saw was that the communities that lived alongside these uh, nature-based solutions, really, of a thriving coral reef and, you know, mangroves that are still intact had far less damage than those communities only a couple miles down the road where those ecosystems had degraded. And so performing that function as a living seawall and, and natural barrier is a vital uh, importance that, that coral reefs has. Um, I well, I hear you, and I've I've seen myself uh, once. I was diving in Fiji, and I could see what a healthy reef looked like. It was beautiful, and as you said, it was like this wall and explosion of color and life and sounds underwater and everything. And and I've also seen other reefs that were um, colorless and had obviously been affected by. Um, erosion by uh, could be man-made causes and so forth. So I, I saw both sides. What would you say to someone who didn't care so much about 
restoring ecosystems in one area because they could think, well, I can just go somewhere else. I'm a tourist. I could go instead of that place. I can go somewhere else. How do you convince that person that we need every single reef on the planet to be healthy and restored? Yeah, well, there's a, a few great points in that statement. And the first that I'll touch on is restoration should not be seen as a silver bullet and it should not be an excuse for allowing reefs to die or causing damage to reefs in any parts of the world. And the best thing we can do for reefs is to stop killing them. Restoration is an unfortunately unnecessary tool because of the damage that's already been done and the uh, the heat that's already baked into the ocean that will continue affecting reefs for many years to come. But we need to be clear that the best thing we can do for reefs is to act urgently on climate change to mitigate the damages that we're causing to reefs and to sustain as much of the reefs as we possibly can. That being said, already half of the world's reefs have died. And scientists project that over 90% will be dead by 2050. And that's not with the worst case scenarios of climate change, but with kind of these medium level projections. And so even doing all that we can to mitigate the damages we're causing, which is essential, we also need to work to conserve the reefs that are still remaining in as much capacity as we possibly can and restore reefs around the world that we're able to in order to sustain a level of coral reefs that can sustain the, the ecosystem that they support. And so even sustaining 5 or 10% of the world's reefs uh, will make a huge difference in terms of the diversity of species and fish stocks and benefits the, from the from the economic side that we just spoke about. Um, but really, the situation is incredibly dire, and we can't stand by and let reefs continue to die off. We need to do everything that we can to conserve what we have and to restore as much of the ecosystems as we possibly can. Right. Um, is there a silver lining here? I mean, there's a lot of uh, doom and gloom there. It's a very serious situation. You said a dire, critical situation, but maybe you could give us a little bit of a vision of your the future. How do you see the future changing? Mm -hmm. Definitely. So you spoke a, a bit about the doom and gloom and, and I've been out on the reefs here in the Bahamas and seen them change dramatically over only the, the handful of years we've been working on the reefs here in Grand Bahama. And, and it can be extremely disturbing to see these reefs that, you know, have been thriving for millennia to, uh, to disappear in, in only a few years in front of your eyes into, into rubble. Uh, but there is a lot to be hopeful for. And we love at Coral Vita the 
days we get to spend out on the water planting corals and going back to see those reefs coming back to life, the coral and the colors that they they have coming back to these ecosystems. And as soon as you plant the corals out, the the fish start coming back and the entire ecosystem picks up. And really the the silver lining are the hope spots, as Sylvia Earle would call them, around the world that really can show the ability for our ocean to regenerate and to come back into a state of thriving beauty. Uh, and it, it really is possible and it can be done in a surprisingly short time frame. And there are examples from Cabo Pulmo in Mexico to other regions around the world where in a few decades a, a barren area of reef can really start to come alive when you're able to remove those stressors, put the right conservation measures in place, and utilize restoration as a tool where possible. And so I have a lot of hope for the ability for the ocean to bounce back and for ecosystems to thrive when you do give them a chance. And I also have a lot of hope at a global level that the understanding of the importance of these environmental issues and the uh, destruction that climate change is reaping currently, wreaking currently on all facets of our society is a huge step forward that we have taken in, in terms of having that be part of the political agenda and conversation. I, I think we'd be kidding ourselves to think that our leaders and politicians have had uh, have done a good job of controlling anything thus far, but at least it's a known problem, part of the conversation that we can work to incorporate different solutions and methods into. And I'm hopeful that over the, the years ahead, much more serious action will be taken in environmental management, conservation, and, and really ecosystem restoration in general to hopefully jumpstart a restoration economy that's really needed in order to deal with the challenges we, we face as a society. Thanks, Gator. You said yourself that uh, the, the, the politicians and us as well, we need to change. We heard that you will be also, you are going and participating in different global events such as General Assembly. Uh, can you tell us what is your message when you meet the, the people, the decision makers? That's a great, great question. And, and really the, the million dollar one is how we as a society are going to move forward in a way that isn't short-term thinking of how we can best get elected next cycle or meet the next quarterly goals for our corporation, but really start to understand and respect the needs of our planet and our society in a medium and long-term vision and stop playing around with the kind of solutions being presented that are half steps and, and band-aids to 
the real problems that we have and start to make systemic change to how we think about resources on this planet. And the extractive society that has fueled our economic growth over the past few centuries is no longer suitable for the future generations that that are to follow. And I think the younger generations understand this and the the passion that youth around the world have for this issue, I think is extremely hopeful and we need to stand up as one and make it clear to our leaders and politicians that there is no chance they will ever be elected again if they don't seriously change how we are dealing with these environmental issues. In my opinion, it is the, the single most important issue of our time as it affects all these other societal problems that we're, we're dealing with from you know, migration to uh, economic well-being and so really making it the core importance for activism, I think, is the only way that we'll be able to shift our culture in the uh, ways that we need to. That leads me to wonder, how do you persuade, let's say, politicians or people who are in positions of power that a healthy reef is far more beneficial in terms of economics compared to an unhealthy reef. How do you persuade these politicians? And could you give us an example of when this was effective? Definitely. So there are great studies from economists all around the world who have researched the value of reefs. And it's pretty tough to, to pinpoint an exact value, but any of the numbers are enormous from the, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars a year in economic well-being that these ecosystems create at the, the low end all the way up to trillions at the, the high end. I can go talk to the Minister of Tourism and show the reports that say that through tourism alone, the reefs of the Bahamas generate $300 million a year for this country. And the Bahamas spends a tiny percentage of that amount on reef conservation, restoration, and anything that would support the ongoing nature of that economic powerhouse that is coral reefs for this region. And so using those studies and numbers makes it a lot more clear when you're having these conversations about the value of reefs. And it quickly becomes fairly obvious that if these different industries and companies that want to continue to benefit from having these reefs are going to be able to in the future, we need to invest significant funds in managing these assets and in sustaining them for decades to come. What about youth? How are you working with youth to ensure that they carry on these efforts? 
So a huge part of our model at Coral Vita is incorporating uh, the local community into our work. And so the reefs here in the Bahamas are the reefs that are benefiting the people of the Bahamas. And they are the most essential stakeholder in keeping these reefs thriving for years to come. And so our farms themselves are, are not only these production facilities for uh, the reef restoration projects. They're also ecotourism attractions for the local economy. And importantly, they're education centers. And so we go to the various school groups around the, the areas where we work, and we have regular field trips to our farm where young folks here on the island can learn about coral reefs, can see the corals, can begin to understand how their lives are impacted by the reef ecosystems and why it's so important to conserve and restore them moving forward. And so we are very much of the mindset that it's essential to educate and inform people on the importance of reefs and make sure that there's stewardship over these restoration projects moving forward. Gator, what I have noticed as well as we have been interviewing um, excellent young activists, uh, we give a, um, an image of a person who do not have any problems, but I'm pretty sure that in your day-to-day -day life, you come uh, and face a lot of problems. Tell us a bit more about them and more importantly, how do you overcome them? It's definitely uh, been a rocky road for Coral Vita over the seven and a half years since Sam and I started the company. There's been a lot of very high highs, but there's also been some devastating low lows along the journey as well. And I think that's uh, a normal thing for entrepreneurs and, and the path that we take. And so at Coral Vita, you know, I mentioned Hurricane Dorian. That was an incredibly devastating event, not only for our company and our coral farm, but for our close community here and for the entire island of Grand Bahama. And so um, at our coral farm, we actually had a surge of 17 feet. So uh, almost six meters of storm surge water came through the coral farm, which was over the roof of our buildings. Uh, and this, despite the 100-year flood map saying that only five feet of flooding would happen in a 100-year in a storm event. So the weather events that are happening around the world and the different socioeconomic issues are a huge challenge for anyone working to try to make a difference in the, the field of environmental activism. And it's something that you can only really face with persistence. And to be able to, to make the impact that we're trying to make takes a lot of commitment and you have to ride out the lows and, and take the highs as they come in order to continue this work year after year. And the real motivation and, and power behind that comes back to 
that hope that we're able to generate when we're able to see the impact out on the reef. And it's all, it's, it's worth all of the lows when we can go back to our restoration sites and see these reefs coming back to life, to see the fish that now call the corals we've planted home and to have these awesome experiences out in nature and out in the ocean and, and being able to really recharge your batteries and and understand why you're doing this work in the first place by being out in nature and with these ecosystems and, and these communities that you're working day in and day out to help. So Gator, you're out there day after day and, and you are making a difference. How can other people like me and our listeners get involved in your work? Where do we find you? How can we be a part of what you do. So you can find us online on all the uh, the various social media platforms at Coral Vita Reefs. Uh, would appreciate you guys giving us a follow. And um, there are ways if you're interested to even support through adopting a coral and we can uh, plant a coral in your name out on the reef here in the Bahamas. And, and hopefully, do that. please do. Yeah, we'll... Uh, We'll send you an adoption certificate in the mail and, and hopefully, you know, the best thing would be if you could even come down here to the Bahamas and, and see your coral on the reef. And so uh, if, if you're lucky enough to, to have the chance, we'd love to host you here at our coral farm and, and give you a tour of the facility and you can see the, the corals growing and the, the magic that, that happens when, when you're able to restore reefs. That's it, Mateus. Book the flight. We're going tomorrow. See you here. Exactly, exactly. I wouldn't probably book a flight. I'm sorry, but we, we can definitely do it over the video conference. All right. Although Bahama sounds very tempting indeed. Uh, well, Greater, it was really great pleasure to chat with you today. And I'm really looking forward to maybe one day we'll chat in a different circumstances where the color reefs are bit better than nowadays. Uh, thank you all one more time for your time. Thank you all so much and uh, really appreciate the, the chance to speak with your listeners. Yes, and thank you, Gator, and thanks to all the listeners. And I'm definitely interested. I'm going to follow up on adopting the coral. And one day I will make it to the Bahamas. I've only been once, but I have not been to your facility. So I'm going to hold you to that. So get ready. And especially for the silver line, I really appreciate that little bit of hope that you've shared with me and I'm sure others too, because you know we need it and it's, it's good to be positive and know that people like you are making a difference. And thank you for that. Appreciate it, have a great day. This podcast has been brought to you by the United Nations Environment Program Europe Office and the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations.